Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 12th episode, the Felipe Nazar episode of the podcast. As it appears, number 12 is not very popular amongst drivers, but uh, some of you might be saying, I don't know who that is, but that is the last driver to, to sport the number 12. So it's the Felipe Nazar episode, guys, uh, <laughs> and I'm here after the Spain-Monaco doubleheader. If you haven't heard episode 11, where I talk all about the Spanish Grand Prix, uh, then go check that out um, because we have a lot of Monaco to talk to, so we're going to get right into it. It's lights out and away we go! Overall, Monaco was, was a pretty good weekend. Um, I, I wasn't a fan of certain things, but you know, that's kind of how it goes with the Monaco Grand Prix. Um, and I actually, I saw a tweet, I want to just bring this up quick before I get right into the race. Um, and I think it's really accurate on, you know, how I feel about Monaco. And I feel like probably a lot of other motorsport slash F1 fans also kind of feel the same way. Um, it was just something along the lines of we just accept Monaco for what it is now and then we move past it. It used to be kind of the, I mean, it still is like a, a massively glamorous weekend, but it used to be a much bigger deal and now it's kind of just like, it, yeah, it's just Monaco. Monaco so different than any other track that we go to um, all for the entire calendar. And... Um, it, it could have been a lot worse than what it was. We, we got a pretty decent weekend. So, I mean, it's I, I, there's a lot of things I'm going to touch on later about Monaco. So, instead of just talking about it now, let's just get right into quali. Um, it's always one of the best sessions of the year in qualifying. Monaco has a very untraditional qualifying, and I think that's what makes it so special. But also because of the fact that there's so little overtaking, Qualifying is more important than it ever could be at any other track. Um, but the reason it's so untraditional is for a few reasons. One, because fuel load doesn't really matter as much as it would at any other track. At a normal circuit, the teams would fuel their cars as minimally as possible for their qualifying runs to have the lightest car um, that will produce better lap times, essentially. And because they have such uh, little fuel in their cars when they go out on track, it means the driver only has a few tries um, before he runs out of fuel. So we we usually end up with, you know, what we call banker laps first, and then um, they'll come in, they'll refuel, throw on some new tires, sometimes not, but that doesn't really matter. And then we get a chance at with the best track conditions, with the smallest fuel load, we get the quickest times on their second run. Usually it's just one or two runs in qualifying. That's that's normal. But in Monaco, that's not the case at all. With fuel not being much of a factor in the lap times whatsoever, the teams fuel up a bunch of time uh, for a bunch of laps so they can just go over and over and try to put together that optimal um, qualifying lap that can be really hard to achieve at a place like Monaco. Um, there, we saw a few different strategies in this qualifying. Um, some drivers, you know, they went out, did an out lap, which means it's the first lap out of the pits. Um, they would then do their hot lap, then recharge and then go again. Uh, some people were going out on their out lap and then doing another lap just to prepare their tires and then do their hot lap. So we, we saw a, a, a couple different strategies, but basically what I'm getting at is that at times all 20 cars would be out on the track at the same time, um, going around and around and around and around and around, basically 
the track evolution in Monaco is also madness. So the times, even for the quickest driver in, I don't want to give it away, but the quickest driver was Leclerc. And even for a guy like Leclerc, he can't just go out, do one banker lap and sit in the garage. The track evolution is so so big in Monaco that you have to be setting a good time at the end or else you're going to find yourself um, in trouble. And um, But that being said, that's what makes it so exciting for um, us at home. We see the leaderboards move over and over and over, people doing so many laps. The track just keeps ramping up. It's impossible to tell who is going to end up where because it's like, oh, is this his... How, how many laps has he been doing? It's it's just, it's madness. There really is no other way to, to describe it than just it's madness. But anyway, that's enough of me kind of explaining what Monaco qualifying is all about and why it's so exciting. Well, actually, I didn't even mention too, like these drivers are right on the edge and there's, there's no room for air. So that obviously naturally makes it more exciting too. But um, in Q1, um, skipping ahead, uh, there's a late red flag caused by Yuki Tsunoda. Um, and he really hurts some people's laps. Yuki kind of, he's coming down into the Nouvelle chicane um, and turned in a little early, hit his hit his uh, left front tire, got a puncture, and they quickly just red flagged it right away. Um, and yeah, the some people that were out on laps kind of hoping that would be a pretty representative time for them um, caught screwed a little bit. And if they didn't get out in time or didn't put together a lap on their last chance, they missed out. And the person that Sunoda actually costed the most was his teammate, Pierre Gasly, who was actually very quick all weekend, very impressive in practice. But you know, the aforementioned track evolution is so big in Monaco and he, he wasn't on it at the, at the end. And it, and then eventually it cost him. He was, he was, I think two tenths or one and a half tenths off of uh, 15th. So yeah, effectively Sonoda and he, Sonoda himself got into the top 10. So effectively Sonoda kind of cost his own teammate a shot at um, his quicker teammate, mind you. He Gasly was quicker than Sonoda all weekend and had Gasly had the opportunity that Sonoda had, I imagine Gasly would have qualified ahead. Like it was just, he was very, very impressive in practice. And he was quick. Um, he actually was probably the most entertaining guy in the race, but we'll get to that later. Um, anyway, just I'll, I'll break down qualifying a little bit more than usual because it is so crucial in Monaco. Um, so the people that were eliminated uh, did not make it to Q2 were Joe Guan Yu, Latifi, Pierre Gasly, Alex Albon, and Lance Stroll. So our Canadians, not, not, not so great in qualifying in Q1. In Q2, we had a pretty clean session. Not really much to go over. Um, we saw Ricardo, Sonoda, Schumacher, Magnussen, and Bottas all miss out. I was very surprised by Bottas, who I honestly thought had top five potential in this race. And I thought, if anything, he would qualify better. And then, like, something crazy would happen in the race with the classic Valtteri Bottas bad luck. Um, but to see him out in Q2, I, I wasn't expecting that. So I guess that's something. Q3, though, was not a very clean session. Uh, I guess I should mention the Red Bulls and Ferraris were kind of miles clear of everyone um, all throughout practice and qualifying. Consistently top four across the board for, for their drivers. Um, and it was really no different in Q3. Leclerc was truly the class of the field. As I mentioned, he was the quickest driver kind of all across the weekend. 
only was beaten in FP3 marginally by Perez, who was also brilliant. Like Perez was ahead of Max all all weekend, but I'm going to get on into that a little bit later as well. Um, so on the first kind of efforts, I, I don't want to say the first runs because, like I said, it's they all kind of do multiple runs, but early on it was it was Leclerc who who led um, in Q3 by about two tenths on his teammate who was ahead of Perez who led Verstappen. Um, the Ferrari kind of did look like it was on another level this track, and I I'm not that surprised because Ferrari's been the quicker in the slow speed corners for most of this uh, season so far, um, and. At the end, it was kind of, um, <laughs> I don't even know what to call it. It was just, it was craziness at the end. It was chaos. And basically what happened was all that, all those results that I just mentioned to you of the top four, they stayed the same because there was a multiple crashes from, at the same time, uh, Perez was the one on the broadcast. He loses it um, at Portier, the corner right before the tunnel. And at the exact same time, at a different part of the track, um, Fernando Alonso, he locked up and went straight on at Mirbo, and he crashed his car. And at also, Signs, who came just out of the hairpin, um, he didn't see the yellow flags. And then when he saw Perez, basically, yeah, car totaled. He spun out because he tried to avoid it, and he kind of <laughs> hit Perez with his rear. It wasn't like a heavy crash or anything, but you know that's not really a good look. You do not want cars crashing into other crashed cars. And yeah, that effectively ended qualifying. Leclerc said that he was on maybe one of the best laps he's ever been on, and he was like two tenths up on his pole time, which was two tenths up on the others. Um, and... He still ended up with pole for the second year running, um, a red flag giving him pole. Um, but it also took away the chances um, for a few other drivers at moving up posi some positions, including Sainz, because he said he was on a solid lap. Verstappen could have um, moved up. I don't know if any of these guys would have been able to beat Leclerc because he was on a quite a ridiculous lap. But the, the order could have changed. And also for guys lower down, like uh, Hamilton, who was P8 at the time, and for the most part was kind of on par with Russell, but lagged a tiny little bit behind at the beginning of Q3 and then lost his chance to catch up, which he could have done. He might not have done. I'm, I'm not sure. It was just Lewis Hamilton was P8, which, again, beaten by his teammate. Um, Lando, though, he actually ended up qualifying best of the rest in P5 ahead of George, who was in P6, and then... Like I mentioned, Hamilton in P8, he was smack dab in the middle of a championship trio, Alonso ahead of him, Vettel behind him. Um, and Ocon was the last of the Q3 drivers, so he started P10. Now, we get into the race. Is what I thought when I woke up at 9am to watch the Monaco Grand Prix live. Um, that was, of course, not the case at all. There was a delayed start, and... It was, at the time, I was kind of upset because not only have I woken up early, but I was just so fired up to watch it. I was hoping there was going to be rain. It didn't seem like there was going to be rain. And then, oh, here it comes. And then apparently, I found out this after the race, that the delay actually wasn't because of the rain. They, they might have started, apparently, 
And uh, this is according to WTF1. I'm sure some of you have heard of it. If not, it's a pretty popular British um, content creator for Formula One. Um, and I haven't come across this info anywhere else. So I see them as a somewhat credible source, but I mean, I, I don't know. I literally haven't seen it anywhere else. I haven't been searching for it at the same time. I probably should have. But apparently it was actually a power issue. They like wouldn't have been able to turn the lights on to start the race, which I think is crazy. Like, I don't know how I haven't heard of that anywhere, but that's what they're saying. So I'll, I'll take their word for it. But um, that's a really unfortunate, like, it's just really unfortunate because I would have loved to see the race start at the actual time, just because it would have been absolute chaos at the start, even more than what it was. And it still was a little bit chaotic. Um, but if it actually was because of the rain, I wasn't a fan of the decision. I was pretty upset in the morning. I've since come over it because to be fair at one point, um, not at the start cause at 9am the track conditions weren't bad at all at like 9:20, or I don't remember exactly what time, but about 20 minutes in or something like that, it was pretty heavy. They went out on a formation lap and the rain was pretty bad and they red flagged it and they came back inside. Um, eventually the race did start though, of course, I think probably took an hour for it to start, um, behind the safety car, mind you, and all the cars, expo uh, sporting extreme wet tires. Um, and there was already chaos starting behind the safety car as our Canadians, Latifi and Stroll both hit the barriers on the formation lap. There was multiple formation laps, but still the race hadn't even started. We already have two people in the barriers. Latifi was saying it was a very, very odd, um, odd occurrence, I guess, where he hit the brakes and went to turn and the car started accelerating on him while he hit the brakes. So we'll take his, we'll take Latifi's word for it there and just mark it down to like a Williams car issue. And Lat uh, Stroll just seemed, I'm not sure what he was doing. I only saw a small clip of what happened with him. But he just, he just hit the wall, and so they ended up both having to go to the pits on the formation lap. I think Latifi threw on Inters and Stroll threw on Wets. Um, inters probably was the way to go, but it was pretty wet at the beginning. Um, and then Gasly, because like I mentioned, he was in Q1, one of the quickest drivers as well. He sees that two of the three drivers behind him are pitting so i mean if he were to pit for enters he would only lose one position and that would have been to joe guan yu so alpha tari makes the bold call and they bring him in for enters right at the beginning of the race and it seemed like a pretty good call actually because gasly was catching up right up to the back of the pack rapidly and eventually actually made um a nice move up the inside of on joe going into mirbo before he quickly caught up to Daniel Ricciardo like a lap later and made a brilliant move on the McLaren driver using his tire grip advantage going down the inside of to back. Um, it was a great strategy call for the fans as well because Gasly was kind of the only main entertainment um, at the beginning of the race just besides like sitting on your seat waiting for something crazy to happen because the, these drivers are completely on edge, right? Um, and while this was happening... Um, a lot of drivers going for enters. Hamilton was being one was one of them. He kind of went a little bit early. I think they were just trying to make something happen um, uh, because Hamilton's pace was better than a couple of those in front, especially Alonso. Um, and he 
when he pitted, he caught up to Ocon really quickly and tried to make a move on the inside at turn one, saying to vote. Uh, Ocon turned in on him, gave uh, gave the front wing of Hamilton's Mercedes uh, minor damage, and Ocon received a five-second time penalty for the collision that we didn't even, I don't think we even heard about the penalty until um, much later on in the race, but... He got a five-second penalty for it. He was very, very upset about it, to say the least. He called it favoritism, saying that the stewards were favoring Hamilton. And to be honest, my opinion on it was I was very surprised he got a penalty. I've said before I am a Hamilton fan, and I do think Ocon definitely could have gave more space. But I thought that it was a bit harsh to give a five-second penalty it was an I don't even want to call it an aggressive move. It was I guess it was a bit aggressive, but I don't know. I just I think the move was on, but Ocon just completely slammed the door. So I get what they're saying, giving him a five second penalty, but I just feel like many people have gotten away with the same thing. So who knows? Maybe it is a bit of favoritism. I don't know. But I I was just I was surprised. I did not think a five second penalty was going to come of it, whether or not I think it should have. I'm on the fence, but I just, after it happened, I was like, oh, well, he's not going to get a penalty for that. All of a sudden, it, it also probably surprised me a little bit more because of how long it took for them to make that decision, because it seemed like it came so much later in the race after it happened. But anyways, let's talk about what's going on with the leaders. I haven't even mentioned that. Leclerc is kind of pulling out a little bit ahead, and Red Bull pulls the trigger, and they bring in Perez for the Inters first before any of the top four. And he quickly proved that they were the quicker tire by quite quite some margin, and he made very, very fast progress. And Ferrari, they radio into Signs. They want to bring him in to cover off Perez, and uh, Signs refused, essentially. He was like, no, no, that is, that, I think that's the wrong call. We should go straight to Slicks. Um, and then eventually, they, well, they, they listen to Signs, but then they go to Leclerc, they were talking to him, and they eventually bring him in to pit for enters, and that essentially ruined Leclerc's race, because the problem with their calls was that they waited too late to bring Leclerc in. Had they brought Leclerc in around the time they brought Perez in, it would have been fine, but Leclerc didn't have enough time on his enters, which were the best tire at the time, to make up for the lost time that he had from pitting. And then, um, when it was time to bring signs in for his hard tires, the the right strategy, to be honest, is what they should have done with Leclerc as well. Um, they compounded the issue for Leclerc by trying a double stack that was completely mistimed. They didn't realize how fast Leclerc was on his in-lap. They call him in, and then once they see how close he is, they say, no, 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 no stay out, but Leclerc had already came in. Leclerc loses about four seconds Um sitting waiting behind signs to get his new tires and not only does Leclerc lose track position to his teammate obviously because he pitted behind him and Perez he loses it to Verstappen as well and completely falls off the podium an absolutely disaster strategy from Ferrari um and what made it even worse, I guess, for them, even though it's already a complete disaster, was that signs when they... Because pitting for the slicks at that time was a right call. That's one thing they did get right. Um, but signs got stuck behind traffic in Lati uh, of, the, of Latifi, like a lapped car already at this point of the race. 
and it eventually cost him because if his outlap was a little bit quicker, he would have been able to emerge um, ahead of Perez when the Red Bulls double stacked um, on the next lap. So Perez comes out ahead of Sainz, Leclerc filters in between Sainz and Leclerc, and well, that basically ended it right there because not long after that, um, at, like th- at this point, everyone had pitted for slick tires, and then we get a red flag on lap 26 because Mick Schumacher's Haas, he fell a tiny little bit off of the dry line, and that was enough to just send his Haas completely spinning, resulted in a huge shunt, a shunt at the entrance of the swimming pool chicane, and it was quite odd, honestly, how long it took for the red flag to come out because, like I mentioned, it was sure, it's qualifying, it's a different day, and red flags should come out quicker in qualifying as all the drivers are pushing as hard as they can. But for such a massive shunt, and like they've had a bit of a history this year of pulling out the flags a little bit early, I think. Um, they took forever for such a like, there's the car is completely um, in half, fall, it completely fell apart all over the track. Sure, the debris was offline, but. Yeah, that was weird. So eventually it gets red flagged. Then the track has dried up quite a bit. Um, and everyone's on slick. So nobody really gains an advantage from it. And then we find out that this, there was the decision made to start, do, like, do a rolling start instead of an, uh, an, a race start, which always gives people an adva- um, an opportunity Sorry, to um, get an advantage over a car ahead, gain another position there because we all know once Monaco gets going, it's a bit of a parade. And that's exactly what we got. And the reason they didn't want to do, um, a, I don't even know what to call it, like a traditional race start instead of the rolling start, was because there was still, like the dry line was still a lot drier than the other side, and they didn't want half of the grid to get a disadvantage. So I understand. But at the same time, it's just, it's disappointing because we could have seen some changes in the order instead of what we got. Because at the end of the day, the only thing that changed was because of Ocon's penalty, um, he lost two positions that uh, was awarded to Vettel and Bottas. So they each scored an extra point apiece. Um, Bottas would have been P10, he finished P9, and Vettel would have been P11, he finished P10. And also because of this race delay and red flags and such, I almost forgot about this, the race actually timed out. We didn't even get full race distance. Apparently, this is fuel-related. They're not allowed to refuel the cars, even under red flags. And the race has to be... It it can't go longer than two hours. So this helped those who chose to go on the mediums uh, under the red flag with the free choice of tire. Because if they went full race distance, the guys on mediums would have been in a bit of trouble at the end. But we we know this. Hamilton was on mediums for like 70 laps in what was it, 2019, I think. I mean, it's just so impossible to overtake in Monaco, and that's why the races just aren't as good as the qualifying sessions. And I, I, I'll talk about, I'm, I'm going to talk about Monaco, kind of where, where it is, how it's going to be in the future. Um, and I just, yeah, I, 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 we'll talk about that later. Um, strategy, one Red Bull this race. I haven't even talked about I mean, I've kind of implied that the order stayed the same, but I haven't even said who won. Of course, Checo, he he won the Monaco Grand Prix, guys. It was the first time a Mexican has ever won the Monaco Grand Prix. 
Um, I'm so happy for him, but I can't shake the feeling that it was a bit of a cherry on top of a bad cake. Um, the race didn't really sit well with me. I'm, I'm not sure why, but getting a Sergio win um, was very nice, but it would have been just as sweet, I guess, with signs or Leclerc first win or getting that glory at home. It, it had Max win, and I'm not like, I'm not a Max hater, guys, but had Max won that race, I probably would have been like just disgusted. <laughs> um, anyway, so the points order goes as follows: Perez P1, Signs P2 for the second year running in Monaco, Verstappen P3. That ends his streak of finishing first or second when he finishes the race. Leclerc P4, George P5 as he continues his ridiculous streak of top fives. Lando finished P6 with the fastest lap. Alonso P7, Hamilton P8, Bottas P9, and Vettel P10. Um, Max Verstappen extended his lead over Charles Leclerc in the Drivers' Championship by another three points. He now leads by nine points. However, the Dutchman's teammate Sergio Perez only trails by 15 points in the championship. 15 points behind Max and six points behind Leclerc. We're going to revisit Spain in a moment. Um, I'm sure you guys will like that. Russell holds a one-point advantage over Sainz for P4. Then it drops off quite substantially down to Hamilton, who sits 34 points down on his teammate. Lando Norris is hot on the seven-time champ's tail, only two points adrift in P7. Bottas is eight points off of Norris in P8. Then it's Ocon in P9, and Magnussen, who hasn't scored since Imola, remains P10. In Constructors, Red Bull holds... A 36-point lead over Ferrari. Mercedes is distancing themselves from second and fourth every single race, just getting more and more comfortable in that third-place slot. They sit 65 points behind P2, and they are um, 70... Or, sorry, they're 65 points behind P2, and they are 74 points ahead of McLaren in P4. Uh, Alfa Romeo leads by Alpine, um, or sorry, leads Alpine by one point in a battle for P5. So had Ocon not received that penalty, Alpine would be ahead of them. Um, probably adding to the anger of Ocon a little bit. Alfa Tauri leads Haas by two points. Neither of them scored in Monaco. And Aston extended their lead to four points ahead of Williams, who is in P10 with that one point from Sebastian Vettel. I want to quickly note also constructors related Red Bull were 49 points behind Ferrari after the Australian Grand Prix. Four races later, they are now 36 points ahead and they're leading both championships. As Charles said during the race, um, or I guess after the race on the uh, cool down lap, it's a long season, but they can't do that. Now it's time for my prize demise. And surprise. All right, my prize. Guys, it has to be Checo. It has to be Checo. After what I said last week, I owe Senor Perez an apology. Se- Senor means Mr., right? I think. I-, I-, I don't know if that's offensive. I hope not. Um, Mr. Perez, Senor Perez. I owe him an apology. Uh, he absolutely can win this championship, guys. He's closed the gap to Max uh, this season after last season was really nowhere close, especially in qualifying. And this year, he's he's been so much better. He's been so much closer. I think these regulations play to Sergio's strengths. And I think that team order's decision in Spain might have ignited Checo. 
He had Max beat all weekend long, and you know I'm so here for a three-way battle at the top. That would be absolutely phenomenal. And you know, I'm of course not a fan of Red Bull, but I think seeing like tension between drivers at any team is exciting to see. Obviously, when it's your team, you don't want to see it, but. I think for everyone else or just objective F1 fans, it does get pretty tasty when stuff like that happens. So I'm totally here for that. I'm sure Red Bull fans don't want to see that. I would be I would be surprised because honestly, it seems like Perez and Verstappen have pretty good relationships. But if Red Bull continues to make decisions that cost Perez when it's kind of ridiculous, especially on round six, I I could get why Perez might get a little heated. Um, anyways. I just want to apologize to Perez because I did say that he has no chance of winning a championship and it's not a long shot, but it's possible. The demise. Ugh. I on what I really wanted to say Haas for their double DNF and you know a team with not a lot of money, they're gonna have to pay to repair um mix car once again instead of working on development. But guys, this just has to be Ferrari. Uh it's so painful. But the Scuderia need to sort their shit out. Uh, they've been the quicker car at the last two tracks in a row. And somehow they've managed to lose a boatload of points. They're not going to be quicker than Red Bull at every single track. And they can't continue to just give points away when they are the quicker team. Their strategy was shocking. I don't know who their strategist is. But Jesus. If he's been around for years like... Back in the Sebastian Vettel days in 1718, if it's still the same guy, they really have to like revamp that department because it seems like Ferrari are always making horrible strategy calls. Like it's like a it's like a meme at this point. Ferrari bottling points that they should have had, and then in the end they're gonna lose the championship by like 15 points, and it's all gonna be because of these ridiculous strategy calls that they made. It's a classic Ferrari, and they have to be absolutely kicking themselves right now because they they completely lost by a strategy call. They they were the quicker team all weekend. Their drivers were performing extremely well. So, like Leclerc was the class of the field. Sainz was actually really good this weekend. Leclerc should have won his home Grand Prix and if not, Sainz should have won it. If they if they messed up with one call at Leclerc, they ugh. They're the demise. Ferrari, come on. S sort your shit out. And for the surprise, this might be a bit lame, but for me, it's it's uh, Bottas and Joe being as far off as they were. I had such high hopes for Alfa Romeo, especially in the hands of Bottas. And they were much further off than I expected. Um, I legitimately expected Bottas to be on par with the Mercedes or even ahead of them. Like I said, I think he had top five potential. Um, and I just, I, I can't say Bottas drove poorly. I don't think he did. It just seemed like their car wasn't quite there, and I really thought it would be. Yeah, I guess it's as simple as that. There was somebody who posted sector three times in Spain, which uh, apparently is the closest that it gets to Monaco, and Alfa Romeo are right up there. So you can't really go off that because setups are so much different, where in Monaco I feel like everyone's setup's a little bit more similar. It's just as high, as much downforce as you can possibly create. Um so I think yeah, it's hard to go off of those Spain sector three times, but still, I did think that Alfa Romeo would be a good car here, and they they weren't that good. So um, 
I want to talk about the championship a little bit, talk a little bit more Perez. I kept kind of getting ahead of myself, but there's still more to say. And then also the future of the Monaco Grand Prix. Oh, Red Bull, what have you done? In Spain, team orders played a huge role in Max Verstappen taking an easy win. I voiced my opinion on the matter and I found it extremely harsh for Perez even more so than most people, because because the way I saw it was that they, they used strategy as an excuse. Horner said after the race, oh, Max was on a different strategy, he was faster at the end, you have to let him through. And yes, he was completely right. Max was quicker at the end, but I think it was because of the strategy they gave each driver. The real crime was giving Max the winning strategy and giving Checo the strategy to put stress on uh, George Russell. Because if they had just prioritized the driver who actually was able to get past Russell because he didn't have a malfunctioning DRS um, like Max did, I think Checo would have led the Red Bull 1-2 as opposed to Max. And had that happened, the championship would be looking a little bit different right now. Um, I want to quickly mention, like I have kind of already, that I truly believe that was the moment that confirmed Checo will never win a world championship. However, it's pretty clear now after the Monaco Grand Prix that I definitely overreacted. It might still be a long shot. It's not impossible. Like I said, had Checo won in Spain, though, let's say Max got fastest lap instead. He'd be level with Leclerc. This is Sergio. Sergio would be level with Leclerc, the guy who looked like he was going to run away from the, with the championship at the beginning of the season. And he'd only be three points behind Max. It would be three points separating the top three. That is insane. And it, it this this Checo Spain talk might be a little bit overblown because Max might have gone on to win anyway. But I think they could have made it a lot closer, or at least could have let them battle. Um, but it's it's kind of crazy to think about that. Uh, Sergio could be three points behind his teammate um, going into Azerbaijan, which I want to talk to in a, uh, talk about in a sec because Perez is incredible in Baku. But I have to say, this this can't be a one-off. Checo always performs well in Baku, and he has to keep that momentum going because if he just wins in Monaco and then he goes back to losing to Max, then this whole conversation doesn't matter. And yes, he won't win a championship. But if he's able to keep this momentum going get on the podium in Baku or at least beat uh, his teammate in back-to-back -back Grand Prix, it would be absolutely massive for Checo's title hopes. And I think it's probably got to happen this season already. Um, I'm really looking forward to Azerbaijan because it's actually Perez who has the most podiums here out of anyone in F1. He also won the race last year with the help of the Max Verstappen tire blowout and the Lewis Hamilton brake magic fiasco. And talking of the points, if... The podium in Baku looked something like Perez P1, Leclerc P2, Max P3, which is very possible. Um, Perez would lead the championship. Sergio Perez would be ahead of both Leclerc and his teammate Max. And that's not... Like, it's very possible. Like, Perez is very, very, very good in Baku, but then again, so is Leclerc. And so is Max Verstappen. They all do extremely well here. Um, Leclerc was, of course, on pole last year. Max was kind of controlling the race until he had that unfortunate tire blowout. And Perez won the damn thing. So I think the battle between those three 
up at the top is going to be very interesting, but I don't want to talk too much about Baku. That's for next week. Um, a lot of season left. Success needs to be sustained for Perez if he wants a chance at the championship, but anything can happen in Formula 1. We've seen it many, many times. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's that's enough talking about Sergio's title hopes. I want to quickly talk about the future of the Monaco Grand Prix. This is actually running a lot longer than I thought it would already. I put out on my Twitter that I my internet is down, so I'm doing everything on data right now. And I was actually planning on doing kind of a quick episode, but we're already here um, quite quite a ways in. So let's uh, let's talk about the future of the Monaco Grand Prix. I put a poll out on my Twitter account, at BreakBiasF1. If you don't already follow it, please go follow it. And the question was about the future of the Monaco race. The options were, it doesn't belong in F1, or something needs to change, or it's fine how it is. And the results... Um, 32% said it doesn't belong in F1, 48% said something needs to change, and 20% said it's fine how it is. I got over 30 votes, um, so it's a bit of a small sample size, but still, at, at the end of the day, I, I, I didn't specify what the change would be, but at the end of the day, the point is that 80% of the voters aren't satisfied with the product F1 is currently putting out there. Yes, it's the best qualifying of the year, but the race is just, it's so dead. Like, there's no overtakes at all. Um, Signs and Leclerc both had tire advantages at the end of the race. Signs was able to do nothing. Perez had the track position, and it was it was over. At one point, if you guys haven't, if you watched the race, you saw that there was a 30-second gap, um, Alonso to Norris, and behind Alonso, Everyone was within one second of each other. It was ugh, it was just absolute madness. There was a pictures of if you go on F1 TV and you look at the tracker where it shows like little dots of where everyone is in the track. And one end we have the top six of the Red Bulls, Ferraris, Russell, and Lando. And the other side is an absolute gaggle of cars, all because Alonso is just holding everyone up. And you're not able to get by. I mean, if Lewis Hamilton can't get by in that scenario, nobody's getting by. So that's Monaco for you. And I'm not really sure what they could do to change Monaco. But it's kind of worth mentioning, too, that the contract hasn't been signed yet for next season. And as I mentioned many and many episodes ago, Monaco is not untouchable. I talked about Vegas. And I wouldn't be surprised if it replaces Monaco in the calendar as kind of the new glamour circuit. Um, yeah, the principality is no longer untouchable in this sport, and this was a good race for it. Imagine what the bad races are like, where it's literally nothing happens, and it just, it's it's all pit stops and strategy, which I mean, is kind of cool, because it puts a lot of, it's, it's the most stressful weekend for the strategist and for the pit crew, so that is kind of an interesting uh, layer to it, but for the fans, it's just, it's not nearly as exciting as all of the other tracks, even ones like France and Spain that are heavily criticized. So, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna wrap this up now. And as I do before the end of every episode, a quick shout out to a brilliant sim racing league in RLR. The Champions Division, which I race in, is in Austin, Texas, uh, the Circuit of the Americas this Friday, one of my favorite tracks to race at. So definitely check that out. And if you want to check out our league, go to YouTube, Twitter, or Facebook. Look up Raw League Racing to get our races with commentary 
or you can go to my Twitch channel, Be Crazy, to watch my personal streams. And I also have a, a, a really exciting announcement to make. I have a very, very special guest coming on ahead of the Canadian Grand Prix. Um, the return of F1 in Canada is only a few weeks away, and I'll be announcing who that guest is going to be on next week's pod. So tune in to find out who that is going to be. So that will do it for the Felipe Nazar episode of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I'll be back with episode 13 next Monday to preview the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. It's a lot easier to say Baku, isn't it? But it's not the Baku Grand Prix. (laughs) Goodbye.